Live from Columbus, it's the Zone of Truth. This week on the show, Griff and I welcome on Haley to discuss the launch of the Bestow Curse podcast, talk about season three of the Linked Legacy podcast, take a spin on the backup roulette table, and of course, answer some listener questions. As indicated, this episode probably will contain spoilers for the first three episodes of the Bestow Curse podcast, so hope you're caught up on that. I'm your host, Steve, in the studio with your GM and my co-host, Griffin. Roll a will save. You're in the zone of truth. And we're live. Yeah, we are. God, it's so good to be back and not staring down a tray of 12 shots. Yeah, this is much more mellow. Just, you know, drinking energy, drinking fused liquor. <laughs> yeah, I want to be clear. I did have a bang before this. You did? I did. <laughs> oh, I did too. I had a bang wow. this morning. I had a blue raspberry, uh, four out of four wheels on the bang bus. Yeah, you know what? I had a cotton candy bang. Uh, okay. Well, and- we know how, how everybody stands on that. Yeah, it's it's a divisive flavor, but I I'm just so intrigued how they nailed that flavor. I just don't understand it. And I had to go back and do a full can because that seemed reasonable. I feel like that's good with breakfast. In what way? I don't know. It's like sweet, like sugary. Hmm. Uh, maybe. Maybe we would replace your morning donut. Maybe have a bang. Right, right, right. Have a bang. Uh, banging a, a donut. Banging a blintz. Banging a donut and a cup of black coffee to wash it down. A cup of black <laughs> coffee to wash it. Good lord. <laughs> I say I say that incredulously, like I don't do that on the reg. <laughs> oh, had a bang this morning. It's just before lunch. Probably have a whole black coffee. <laughs> Dear God, I I think I would die. Like I think I might die now just drinking a bang. Like I'm my heart's pumping. You know what gets me? I think it's the fact that. I like dry scoop my pre-workout mm-hmm. and it's, th- it's also 300 milligrams of caffeine. And it's like, I take that right to the dome every day before we work out. And so my caffeine tolerance is like sky high from that. So with the, like the adrenaline and the dopamine and serotonin or whatever other good feeling chemicals that you get from dry scooping all of that pre-workout, does anything else in your life bring you joy anymore? No, or is just I'm very numb just, otherwise. It just burned yeah. you out. I'm very numb yeah. for the rest of. Just, the rest of time. I, just, that's why That's why I need the boys to get to the gym on time, because I'm hey. like, hey, listen, it's time to work out. Yeah, if we don't get this done in time, I'm going to be real sad. I got my dry scoop lobotomy on. Okay, so I only do <laughs> I only do that because, like, we work out, like, right at the end of work. And I mm-hmm. feel like I feel like that takes some preparation to, like, mix your pre-workout and drink it 30 minutes before you exercise to get it to start affecting you when it's time. Yep. So I just do the dry scoop five minutes ahead of time, and it works. Yeah, I mean, I can't argue with that. That makes a whole lot of sense. Well, I'm not dry scooping today, but I am drinking a beer. I'm going to kick this one off today. Um, This is a very thematic for Bestow Curse beer. I went to the fancy liquor store today that I've never been to over by where Brooks, Emily, and myself live. This is one that we've seen on the show before. It's a War Badger. War Badger. Yeah. Um, So this is maybe if uh, a, a picture on the can, if maybe Figgy spent some time like in, in Vietnam. Vietnam. Yeah. yeah, he's ch- he's chomping on a cigar. He's wearing a a bulletproof helmet. This is from Miss Billion River Brewing. 
I think it's in Delaware. I don't know, but it's a cool looking can. Uh, it's not cold because I basically came right from there to here almost. But I'm going to crack into that now while I'm taking my first sip. Griff, what are you drinking? I'm drinking a Monster Ultra Paradise mixed with pineapple rum. And it's very good. It's a little it's a little light green, but it really doesn't have that much color to it. I'm almost finished it. It's my second one. So circling back to what we were talking about before. This is your second Monster Energy. It was one Monster Energy. After a bang. One, one can of Monster Energy. I... It, 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 it may as well be, it, it's about six hours post-bang. Griffin, I don't think you're going to live past 40. It's about six hours p- post-bang. You're going to kill yourself. No, I'm not. Stuff, my, I'm fine. I'm fine. It's fine. I can, I can quit whenever I want. It's Okay. People, there are plenty of people that drink a whole pot of coffee every day. I've mm. seen Haley's grandparents do that and they're, they're the right, they're, they're old. They, they'd still do it. Yeah. They're all old. They do drink a whole pot of coffee a day. That's way more caffeine than two bangs. Oh, I don't know about. A cup of coffee is like, uh, I thought a cup of coffee is 100 to 200 milligrams of caffeine. I think it's somewhere around 100. Yeah. So, I don't know. so a whole steaming pot, that's. You got to divide that over two grandparents? They're going through two pots of coffee in yes, a morning? Yes. Dear no, not God. just in the morning. That's all day. They just drink it, drink coffee all day. And they're still alive, live and kicking. Wow. Life goals. All right, Haley, now that we've talked about your grandparents enough, welcome to the show. Thank you. <laughs> and how are you doing this morning? I am good. How are you? I'm doing great. Uh, how much caffeine have you had? I had a normal cup of coffee while I was out on the porch reading my book. So like a normal quantity. And so did you chase that with like a, a fat can of Red Bull or something? <laughs> no, I can't do caffeine. I uh, I will get very, very, very hyper. In fact, it's so bad that people at work make jokes. Uh, one time my manager bought everybody coffee and uh, my team said, why did you give her that? <laughs> I get very hyper. Caffeine doesn't settle me well. Well, you know, here we are. What are you drinking today? I am drinking a peach iced tea White Claw hard seltzer. Ooh, nice, nice. I also have a White Claw hard seltzer uh, to back up my monster liquor drink. Great. All right. Well, that's, I mean, it sounds like an appropriate sidearm. Let's hop right into it. We actually do have a ton. I know I say this all the time, but we have a ton of stuff. You to always get to say do. it. But today, today in particular, man, even the intro is the boy longer. who cried. We have a ton to do today. But we always have a Nobody ton to do today. Nobody believes you when we do. Well, I mean, broken clocks right twice a day, right? Wow. Dead silence to that. Okay. This is, uh, this is some music. <laughs> this is some music. This is uh, Derek and Brandon Feichter, Night at Black Wolf's Inn. Everybody knows it and loves it. Here it goes. Let's kick it off here. I just want to start with some housekeeping as we usually do and don't have a lot of that today. I just want to reiterate out there, folks, um, a little schedule reminder for how these episodes are dropping. So, all right. Carrying Crown, mainline show, still drops every Thursday. Nothing's changed, obviously. The rest of our stuff basically is bi-weekly. We got Zone of Truth on Monday one week and the other week on Tuesday. You got Linked Legacy and Thursday. No, Friday, you've got Bestow Curse. You almost had it. Almost stuck the landing. Almost had it. So now that we've introduced Bestow Curse, we knew we did, we did get some a couple questions. You know, is it weekly? It is bi-weekly, folks. It is bi-weekly. Um, so you get a little bit more anticipation, but it pays off because it's good stuff. All right, silence to that as well. Let's do some quarantine updates. <laughs> I don't know what you want me to say to this. I don't know. Throw something after. I'm, I'm, Damn. I'm, 
You read through your quarantine updates, and I was hoping you would just transla- transition. All right. Well, Haley, what have you been doing to keep yourself sane lately? What you been into? Um, I have not been keeping myself well sane. I have not been sleeping. Have I had a very, very, very long few weeks at work. But otherwise, Griffin recently got something that's very fun that I've been also playing, if you would like to talk about that. Yeah, Griffin. I just got a PS5. <laughs> We've been playing uh, Ratchet & Clank, the new Ratchet & Clank that came out. Yesterday, as of this recording, we played it all evening yesterday, all morning today. Uh, I've been playing a little bit of Demon Souls. It's very fun. I'm enjoying it quite a bit. And it's nice to actually get to play a game in the living room, which I haven't done in a long, long time. Yeah, for a long time, we've been doing basically Switch only and not even Switch to the TV. Just each of us on our individual Switch in like the living room. (laughs) In the dark. (laughs) (laughs) That's... That's very romantic. A couple candles, glass of wine, separate switches in the dark. (laughs) No candles, no wine, separate rooms. (laughs) (laughs) I love it. So uh, the the PS5, you're playing a couple new games. Tell me about some quality of life updates, man. How are you enjoying that PS5? Oh, uh, yeah, the DualSense controllers are really cool. I haven't really experienced a controller like that before, especially like Ratchet and Clank is a game that takes advantage of it. So, so what is this DualSense controller thing? It's an updated PlayStation Five, or it's if you've played PlayStation, they've had like the same controllers in essence since play t- PlayStation One, uh, but they've added like the R two L two buttons and stuff. Mm-hmm. But the DualSense controller is the first like change in de- design for a PlayStation controller. Really, the design philosophy is a bit more ergonomic than the PS4 was, and with that, it it just has some really cool features. It's got this um, really immersive uh, rumble feature. Like if you walk through water, it really feels like the vibrations are like a ripple in the water. Like in Ratchet and Clank, when you pull a portal towards you, you can feel it down the controller as it like comes at you and then passes oh, you. Like, like to one side to the other of your hands? It literally like starts at the front of your hand and the rumble goes down. Oh, that is the, your cool. palms. freaking awesome because uh, even sound comes out of the controller. Yeah, so too. the controllers make sound now. So if there's a sound that's specific to that game that like needs to be close to you, mm-hmm. they'll play it out of the controller. And the sound from the controller sounds good? Yeah. Huh, go figure. I mean, it's not it's not used for a ton of noises, but mm-hmm. like there's like a ping noise that one of the one of the guns makes in Ratchet and Clank, for example, that uh, the controller uses so that it stands out more from the rest of the sounds of the game. Like mm-hmm. it's it's right next to you. So it's it's pretty tight. I enjoy it quite a bit. Um, but otherwise, the PlayStation five is just really fast. Great for 4K. You know, we're, we have it on a 4K TV. It looks incredible. I wanted to get it because I'm at my core a console gamer. Mm-hmm. Like I have a gaming capable PC, but I bought a gaming capable PC with several upgrades to it to essentially run all of the programs and stuff we run for this. So yep. run all the editing, run all of the effects processing, run all of the streams. So I don't really use it for gaming that much unless we're streaming something on Discord. Like you and me, like right. us playing Hades the other day was like the first time I've gamed on this PC in <laughs> like two months. And I don't normally have a ton of time to game. So having it in the living room and having a game that like Haley wants to play too is really convenient because normally that uh, real estate would be occupied. Yeah. And I, I have to imagine maybe whether you realize this or not, like 
when you play on your gaming PC, that's the exact same spot that you work at. Like I, I, feel I like work here, in the, I edit here, yeah. I, I fucking do every stream thing here. Like it's my same desk for everything. This office is mm. my work office and we have to tear this down <laughs> when yep. we, you know, when I, whether we do or not, like my, I've been caught before in a meeting at work where it's like, why do you have two ring lights? <laughs> Or, or like, what is that glowing sign behind you? And I'm like, fuck, I didn't turn that off. That's really funny. So, you know. Yeah, so I imagine just removing yourself from this kind of environment and be like on your own couch with that big ass, beautiful TV you have downstairs. Must yeah, be very it's, nice. it's very nice. I enjoy it. Glad to hear it, man. Glad to hear it. Well, on my end, I've been, I've been watching some programs lately. So I've been watching this anime. It's on Netflix. I only got one episode left. Have you guys heard of Doro Hidoro? No, is it good? No. It fucking rocks. Yeah, what's it's the premise? It's so good. Um, it has this this really cool animation style. Like it, it's it, like hyper detailed animation. It looks really good. It's not like the kind of like Pacific Rim, the black, like all smoothed out and mm-hmm. digital looking. Like it looks like very well drawn anime. But it's the story of this guy who's head got replaced with the head of a crocodile. Oh, wait, I, I did watch like the first two episodes. Of yes. this, and like he still has the head inside his mouth or whatever. Yes, he has a human head that lives inside of his head that he can't talk to. So like he'll like chomp on somebody's face and then ask them what the guy inside him talked to them about. But yeah, basically, he's trying to figure out who did this to him. Mm-hmm. And it's and it's he lives in this really dirty, nasty place called The Hole. And <laughs> it's a good name. Great name. <laughs> and uh, there's another land where these like sorcerers, the people who do that kind of stuff and prey on people like him in The Hole, like test their magic out and like play with them, uh, live and they come down and fuck with them. So, you know, it's, it's his story of him trying to get back. It's very funny. It's extremely graphic. Like the gore is out of control. Oh yeah, there's like a scene where uh, uh, he just like, uh, "You're not useful to me," and like cuts a dude into like cubes, and they yeah. like fall apart. Yeah, that that kind of shit happens. Um, at one point, he's doing the thing where he's got someone's head in his mouth, and that person's friend is trying to pull her out, and it's just like ripping her face off. So it's really graphic, but it's. It's really fun. It's funny. It's wild. The action's really good. And I, I really like the, the soundtrack, too. Like soundtrack's yeah. pretty yeah. dope. So highly suggested to, uh, to the fans out there. It fucking rocks. And then I kind of went out on a limb earlier this week and watched a documentary on Amazon Prime called Lost Soul. And it is a documentary about this movie that was made in 1996, a movie called The Island of Dr. Moreau. Are you guys familiar with that mm-hmm. one? Yeah. Nope. <laughs> All right. Well, let me tell you. So <laughs> it's an infamously bad movie and one I had not seen until yesterday. But all sorts of insane shit were, was happening in the background that resulted in a very discombobulated shitty movie. Mm-hmm. And this documentary they interview the original director who got pulled halfway through. They interview like the head of New Line Cinema, a lot of people who are like on the production and set design, set uh, staff, all of the people behind the cameras filming on location in this tropical island paradise where they're getting like bit by poisonous spiders and hurricanes are blowing the set away. And then amidst all of that, you have like Marlon Brando at 
and Val Kilmer at the peak of their like narcissism, both fighting with each other as stars of this movie and getting into situations where like one won't come out of the trailer until the other one does, but it's the exact, that guy won't come out until the other guy comes out of the trailer. So it's a big disaster. It's crazy. People were doing drugs the whole time and doing all sorts of insane shit. So that it's a really, really good documentary of just wa- people telling wild stories. And then last night I watched the Island of Dr. Moreau and saw like what it resulted in. And yeah, checks out. Yeah, that's horrible. Checks out. <laughs> Uh, so yeah, that's what I've been into. It's pretty wild. I would highly recommend that as well. Let's talk about the launch of Bestow Curse. So everybody here knows, last Friday, for those of you listening live, we dropped the first three episodes of the Bestow Curse podcast. Um, and I was kind of actually surprised how well received it was. Yeah. It was awesome. Yeah, it did very well. What'd you guys think? Of just the launch in general, the launch in general, and all that kind of stuff. Or... Yeah, any anything around it. Yeah, I, I mean got... it. It did better. I mean, we as expected because it's our second show. But I mean, it it did better than like four months of the hideous laughter podcast. Absolutely, it was immediately downloaded more times than we probably have had downloaded in the history of hideous laughter. Yeah, and and I mainly kind of bring this up just because I want to say thanks to the patrons and the folks listening that helped promo um, promo the show and stuff to, you know, get the word out because it was a a big bump. We actually saw like a lot of residual bump to the actual HLP itself, Mm -hmm. which was really cool. So thanks to you who went out on the Reddit to retweet it and all that fun stuff because it was it was a riot. We actually have a listener question about Bestow Curse from Jason because the show's a little different than our our mainline show. And he asks us, what was the checklist process like to come up with all the things you wanted to do differently this time to lead into the launch of Bestow Curse? I mean, it was a long checklist. We mm-hmm. didn't do, uh, we did a lot of shit wrong at the start of Hideous Laughter, I feel like. Uh, we tried our best, but we had no experience with it. So uh, I think some decisions we made branding our show with Hideous Laughter are bad decisions looking back. I think uh, we wanted to move away from that. We are obviously are bleeping out like the F-bombs and stuff on Bestow Curse. And honestly, I feel like that doesn't take anything away from the experience. It just makes the experience more accessible to other people, Mm -hmm. which is a big deal because to talk businessy for a second, we have competitors that already do that and have the benefit of getting, uh, you know, parents and stuff to listen to their shows because they can play it in the car and we you can't do that with hlp you absolutely can't i mm-hmm. i would highly recommend unless you have like an 18 year old kid not to play it and so we made the decision there to both take away the drinking aspect of it not that we aren't partaking <laughs> but like you're not going to hear the can cracks or any of that stuff on bestow curse and we've also toned down the cursing it's also not a horror campaign, so some of that, like, I guess I would say adult, more adult uh, horror type stuff is not really going to be present, although there are dark moments, as you can obviously like see in the first couple of episodes, right? Like a child got its arm broken by yeah. uh, by some dude, you know? Yeah, and I don't want to speak for you at, the, at this kind of point here, but I, I imagine it's going to be more thrilling stuff than abject horror yeah we're not gonna have you know we're not gonna have like 
real nasty descriptions of gore and stuff, probably. But yeah. I don't know, maybe. But from a technical side, at least, as far as checklists, it's super different launching a podcast that you know what you're doing versus don't. Um, so one of the big things with the HLP, when it launched, I spent a long time trying to gather this huge list of all the different places the podcast had to get uploaded and it didn't get uploaded to all of the areas for like the first couple weeks because there's just so many and you don't know them when you're ill-experienced and there isn't a lot of great places that are just like you need to go here and do all of these things and then you're good um so i had to compile an entire checklist because that's my job is to make sure the rss feed is on everywhere Mm -hmm. um so i had to compile a large checklist and i think i was up uh the first night it launched i was up most of the night trying to make sure that every single thing was launching uh with the correct things on it so um I just one of the quick things, for example, that we learned from HLP, like Spotify, for example, used to only allow you to upload to Spotify once you had a certain amount of hours or minutes or, or episodes, etc. And so we like knew that going into it, which was good. So then once the episodes came out, we were ready to go. And so it's the from the technical side of just uploading and getting the podcast out to people. It was such a different experience because we know what we're doing and we know what we're looking for. Yeah, it's funny that Jason asked this question because that's part of it too. It's like, you know what sounds way more professional than me reading the intro? Having somebody else do it. Regardless of, I mean, Jason sounds great, but regardless of that, having somebody that's not on the podcast read your like disclaimers and your intro and the fact that we have a trailer and we have actual legit backing music and we have character intros player intros to ease someone into the show and get them knowledge about the people on the show help them decide if this is something they want to listen to or go back and listen to those things if they want to know more about the characters or be able to better differentiate between the cast that's always a huge problem when you start an actual play podcast is that hey we got a bunch of people if you're listening to this for the first time, you probably can't pick out who's who. Yes. I mean, we all like to think that we sound relatively different, but to someone that's brand new to your voices, you don't really. It's 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 actually kind of funny that you bring that up because I can't, I'm sure I must have mentioned this somewhere on in, in a zone of truth in the past or something, but even like kind of deep into the run of the H, the original mainline HLP, probably like. 30, 40 episodes or something. I think my mom was like, it's so funny that you and Brooks take turns saying I knew it at the end. Like, <laughs> no, no mom, that's we do Brooks. not do that. We also but, take turns slurping. It's not all. <laughs> yeah, but like it, even if you kind of know us, I, it sounds like it, you know, you got to get used to that. I stuff. mean, your you own son, right? Yeah. yeah. I mean, you are her son and she couldn't tell that you weren't doing it. At well, the she end. doesn't pay attention to a lot of what I say. Anyway, fair enough. So. Fair enough. <laughs> I think some of the other pieces of this checklist were that we wanted to show off the fact that we have two and a half years of experience. Almost, mm-hmm. I mean, in at the end of August, it'll be three years of experience doing this. And, Too long. And we don't do it on the HLP because we rely on Sirenscape and that kind of stuff. But like, I mean, I've sunk probably at this point over $500 in licensing for the backing tracks, licensing for new music, new stuff that people aren't using, licensing for sound effects. And because of that, we can make something that sounds immersive, that sounds really 
just it's auditorially pleasing to listen to something where like the door slams when somebody enters the room and like the the jingle jangle of the like people are going to come to know like the sound of the bells for the badger and blade because that's one mm-hmm. bell sound that I have that I'm using specifically for that and that all takes a ton of work but it takes it's doable work for you when you're not new to creating a podcast if if we were new these would these would take eight hours to edit and put together and they wouldn't sound nearly as good mm-hmm. but because we have that experience like I can go through edit all the voices get that to a place where I like it and then layer all this stuff in and you know it, it might take two and a half times as long as a hideous slasher podcast does to edit but in my opinion it's worth it and that that's not to say that like I, I think we produce something really good with the hideous slasher podcast from a sound design perspective it's just we don't, we don't have the capacity at this point to turn that into what we've turned bestow curse into mm-hmm. like bestow, bestow curse is a bi-weekly show that we can actually put that kind of work into and hideous laughter i think st- still sounds very good but isn't going to have those like immersive sound effects and stuff just because of time and that immersive sound uh and audio engineering for bestow curse i think also gains more audience because there are some people who are they enjoy listening to something but they do not want it to just be uh they don't want it to sound like people talking at them they like to feel in it in the situation that's happening and i think hlp does a really good job at making everybody feel closer to the table um bestow curse does a little bit of making people feel close to the table and also inside the city of corvosa it's like a a dual uh immersiveness (laughs) yeah I, i like to kick that to like you're an example of like the magic tavern like Everybody has listened to that show that probably listens to us. And I know you guys have as well. But like, I'll, I listen to that show and just kind of sometimes forget it's a podcast. Right. Because yeah. they they immerse like the fact that they do such a good job of like the sound design when like Usador walks away from the table mm-hmm. and you hear him like mumbling to somebody at the bar to like <laughs> yeah. order a drink and you hear his like footsteps approach and the clattering of a plate and him setting it down and being like, Oh, there's more spiced potatoes. Like, you know, <laughs> like that's that's a whole thing. That's yeah. a whole thing that takes that takes so much ten time. times longer than that segment of time. Mm-hmm. But it's such a big ad for that podcast. And I think you know, obviously, I don't do that as well with our sound effects. But like, it's something. Like we have right. something in there that's that's adding a little bit to the world. And I think it's been well received. I, I also don't want to like create a situation where every spell and every sword hit is like a is a sound effect. Like I feel no, like that'd be get, miserable. Yeah, that gets that gets tiring on the ears. But still, I think like hints of it and sprinkling it into an episode really add to it. Sure, absolutely. Um, and I and I fully agree with that. We got a lot of good feedback on the the audio engineering process that went in and how it sounds. So I'm very glad that people are responding to that because I know it's a ton of work for both of you guys, you know, individually. And Griff, I know you spent a ton of time editing this shit. And I'm just very glad it paid off and that people appreciate it as much as I appreciate it. Yeah. Um, so how about the not show producing, the not technical side of it? From a player perspective, what did you ask from us that might have been different than when we started the HLP? So I'm going to I'm going to keep bringing this back to like a, a little bit of a business conversation, but also like a I liken it to market research a little bit. Mm-hmm. Um, 
I listen to a ton of actual play podcasts. I am an actual play podcaster. It would be stupid of me not to listen to other shows that do similar things to us. Yeah. And so at the start of this, I really felt like, let, let me take the things that really stood out to me in other shows that were really good and combine them into something that uh, that I want. Combine them into something that is uniquely bestow curse to, to get into this intro. And so I think any of you that listen to us probably listen to Glass Cannon Podcast, and those of you that do probably listen to Raiders of the Lost Continent and have listened to Skid do like a phenomenal outside-of-the-timeline intro scene in, in that show. And I wanted to create something similar to that with the intro scene with like Kazavan and all of that, because that's kind of the impetus for the whole adventure, whether your characters know that or not. And so that, I mean, that, that was something that I, I knew I wanted to do from the start. I asked all of you, the way I wanted to introduce the characters was different than we had done with uh, Hideous Laughter, which was kind of a play on the you meet in a tavern type thing with a hero reading. And I wanted you all to kind of, the, the adventure has you meeting kind of organically with this card, but I wanted, uh, I wanted the listeners to see a little bit about your characters before that happened. And so I asked you to each come to me with kind of like a slice of life, something that your character was, was doing or that would happen on a day to day, um, as a day to day that, I could then use to, you know, have you roll a couple of checks, things that your character is good at, and we could do a little bit of a little bit of a, you know, pre pre-scripted scene, little bit of an improv scene, mm-hmm. introduce some characters that are going to be important to the adventure that are NPCs and that kind of thing. You all, you know, gave me great slices of life that I could work with a lot, and I think that was that was fairly unique in that, like, the party wasn't together by the end of the first episode. That was a little bit of a surprise to me that, like, <laughs> that we got done with episode one. And we'd basically done some vignettes and wrapped it up. And I loved it. And I had so much fun. I was like, wow, yeah, we are not together yet. Like, <laughs> it was it was interesting. It was different. Um, Haley, your slice of life. What do, where how did how did that come together? So the one that you had. It was you, you have your buddy from the past, DeVargo, comes in. Well, buddy, maybe in quotes, I don't know, um, with a with a child that's injured. What, what did you want to highlight there? Did you pull in any inspiration from somewhere? How did you come up with that? I didn't pull any inspiration from anywhere. Um, Griffin and I actually talked through it. So that's another benefit of this being the second podcast is I kind of knew what he was going for and we could talk through it before actually putting something down on paper but essentially what I wanted to really show is I wanted to be able to show the two different sides of Mir and what she goes through so there is that at night side that clearly it it keeps her up at night and she's um, taking care of people and then the day to day she's a, a business owner and wants to make sure she's taking care of her shop and you know, continuing to keep having customers. So I wanted to be able to show those two different sides all in one uh, one kind of slice of life video. That's kind of what I was thinking. I think you did a very good job. It was a lot of fun. <laughs> yeah, I, I, I had a blast doing it. And I think it's a really good example without it being um, too, here's everything about her. <laughs> <laughs> 
Which, because again, I, I'm, I think we know a lot better on how to show our characters. So yeah, and just a little peek behind the screen for like the character vignettes. These people that you're interacting with, that you your characters have an established relationship with, or are establishing a relationship with, in the case of Vec, mm-hmm. are people that like we. Had I not done this, we probably wouldn't talk to. Uh, in in maybe the first fifteen episodes, for some of them, maybe the first book or two, you know. And I think it's really important to establish. You heard it when everybody was on the zone of truth individually that everybody was so excited for this like living city and in order to do that justice i felt like we needed to have those connections immediately and have people that your characters would go to immediately and i it wouldn't feel organic if if you guys on episode 10 are like well i need an underworld connection who can i talk to like you have one yeah i need a i need i need a you know, a Shawanti character that I can, I can bounce ideas off of. Like you have one, these things are all there. Right. What? It was like the third episode and we're already going back to one of them. Right. Specifically. Yeah. (laughs) That paid off immediately. (laughs) Yeah. Which is, is something your characters would absolutely do. Oh yeah. But again, I think it, it makes it so much more fun because that entire doc scene and stuff is all, on the fly you can kind of I think with this with this actual play versus anything we've done before you're gonna see what it's like for a game master to like start coming up with shit on the fly because you guys want to go do something that like is not a part of the written adventure that is not a part of my plan that is not a part of my prep and figure out how it it comes together and um, you'll just be able to see how things are handled in that way. Yeah, and I think it's so important that we were able to introduce these extra characters early on because it would be absolutely foolish of us to go into an adventure and immediately assume, right, that we know nobody in a city that we live and breathe every single day. That, I mean, that's that's a really good point. That Like, <laughs> most of us, probably all, all of us, right, have lived in Corvosa for a while. Yeah. Right. Most of you, your entire lives, aside yeah. from maybe, you know, Diego. Mm-hmm. You know, Diego obviously hasn't lived in Corvosa, but he's at least been there long enough to know people. Ooh, and actually, to, uh, I, this, this is exciting. Everybody knows that Haley's the producer <laughs> for these live episodes. Yeah. But we actually, uh, we wanted to have her on the episode today. Can't really have her pulling double duty as, as you know, so, we've got a backup producer today. The voice of Diego himself, Chris! Oh, hello. <laughs> hey, Chris. Hey. So, we got a question from uh, Bippy uh, about these these characters that we see. Mm-hmm. He's wondering, are we going to hear the humble beginnings of the square fruit farmer from Pavlos and Pals in Corvosa? <laughs> All right. So, moving on to our next segment. <laughs> Those are different. They're different worlds. Yeah. I mean, I, I, I love world to world connections on on our shows I obviously do it in a lot of the stuff that I GM and it's already been established uh, we'll find out in book two of Bestow Curse how it's been established mm-hmm. but no I'm not yeah. bringing through cartoon <laughs> in and I, I imagine that might something like that might be fun but I think because this takes place several years before Carrying Crown we need to be 
very, very careful about yeah. how we tie things. And honestly, this is another thing where, as we talk about what the checklist is for bestow curse, like I think this is this brings up another point of difference. Like we do a fuck ton of fan service on Carrying Crown. Mm-hmm. I'm not doing that on Bestow Curse. I'm not doing like the fan service episodes, like that bullshit. <laughs> like that, I'm just not interested in it. Mm-hmm. So. Sorry, but it's, yeah, no. <laughs> well, it, it's a really, really good story as is. You know exactly. what I mean? Exactly, and I feel like I don't need to water it down with that kind of stuff. You don't need the gang goes to the beach or the gang goes to the water park like the anime right. fan service but, episodes. Right. You don't but need you, it. You kind of need that for HLP because HLP is usually very serious and very horary. And so sometimes that's more necessary. But mm-hmm. meanwhile, Bestow Curse already has a good mix of that... Uh, kind of playful and fun while also being like serious and so it's it's just such a different vibe fan service almost doesn't even make sense within that uh podcast yeah and it's just it's it's a hlp was a different vibe when we started recording it than it is now and you see that probably most markedly in how i play horus and no. I do do fan service to like, you know, I do do nods to how we used to play him and how he used to like come in randomly and whatever. But like, he's a, he's a serious NPC. He's not a, you know, I'm not making him a joke. Yeah. We, we've <laughs> yeah. grown up in the last almost three years. Yeah. Wow. I, and, and that's not to say that like, there's not going to be goofs and stuff, but it's just, I'm, I'm not really interested in making fan service to the stuff we've already made. Well, all right, let's let's move along here because we've got something pretty exciting that I wanted to talk about today, and we were blessed to have Haley on the show to bring this to the listening audience herself. So Haley, we all know that you're GMing the next season of Link Legacy. The, the module that we're going to be playing has been teased a little bit. It might have been explicitly talked about in some fashion, maybe on Discorderly or something, um, <laughs> but... Let's make it official right now. What's the scenario that we're playing? It is Realm of the Fell Knight Queen. Woo! All right. It's a level seven wilderness adventure. So that is kind of the the key aspects of it because uh, Paizo categorizes their modules with wilderness and a couple other. Different yeah, all of the all of the old categorizations. Like yeah. you, had, you have ones that like say dungeon. And yes. Ones that say yeah. This one is in the wilderness category. What what does that mean? Th- that means that you would be expect to you would expect yourself to be exploring in the woods. Mm-hmm. That okay. is what is should be expected going into a wilderness uh, module. All right. So so what's the hook of this module? I'm going to I'm going to read you the hook. Oh god, I'm so excited. <laughs> Stay out of the woods. Deep in the forest something is stirring. An evil fae sorcerer cast out of the first world millennia ago by her own kin has found a way to break through the ancient walls of her prison and carries with her a vengeance too deep to be sated. For the quiet Andorian town of Bellis, busy celebrating a long-awaited marriage, it is time for joy it's a time for joy and laughter. Yet, the forest that's always sheltered, it is growing dark, and the things are moving within the hearts of the wo- woods. Oh, yeah. So it starts with a wedding, which is all my <laughs> players have talked about and thought about. Yeah, favorite enemy, Faye. <laughs> favorite favorite <laughs> terrain, <laughs> crashers. 
So it does start with a wedding and things Cold get iron very weapon. dark from there. Um, so everybody's going to be starting at a, a wedding festival. Um, weddings in this area are not like traditional weddings maybe in America in general. They're, they're a, it's a wedding festival. And so that's where things start. What do you mean? It's in Andorin. That's the American analog. Yeah, but it's not. <laughs> but it does not match what maybe a traditional wedding would follow. And so it starts with the wedding festival. And then moving from there, things grow grow dark. And they take a turn for the worse as the players head into the woods. So you're saying that Bestoker... I'm sorry. Whoa. Link's Legacy Season 3 is not going to open with a two-hour Catholic Mass. No. Oh. <laughs> no. Damn. Shame. No. I'm out. <laughs> Sorry, that's the only part of weddings I liked. So. <laughs> Sorry, <laughs> I don't. Even, I, I think I've only been to one full Catholic wedding. <laughs> I don't even know what goes on. <laughs> so, so what? What can people expect here? We got we got the wedding. We got some wilderness exploration. Anything else you want to tease for it? I think that the big thing you guys are going to see is I, I have a feeling we're going to have some crazy and fun characters with a mix of crazy and horrible type of scenario. So it sounds like all the characters that everyone's planning to play have um, a really fun aspect, which that fits my way of GMing. I, I, I'm not very serious typically, and I don't really like a lot of horror. So all of the horrible things that might happen are going to have that uh, air of air of lightness because Steve, have you, have you come up with a character? I absolutely have. <laughs> Do you want to talk about it? Or <laughs> yeah, I actually do. Characters? I actually oh, do. Chris has something. Oh, yes. Yeah, Demuth wants to know about this. Who is all going to be the players in this module? We have established the cast, right? Yes, we have I don't established know that we the did. cast. Yeah. Oh, I don't know that we did to anybody. We haven't announced We haven't announced, oh, we have an announcement. So the cast is Griffin, Steve, Chris, and Emily. And so bestow curse squad. it's a bestow curse squad, but shifted a little um, <laughs> or a lot because I am the GM. But yeah, that is those are the players. And uh, I think it'll be wild. Yes, I OK, I, I'm I'm so excited. I spent like a lazy weekend a couple weekends ago. I mean, we don't get many of them, but I spent a good chunk of that weekend just researching a character and building one out. I am playing a class that I never thought I would ever play before, but I'm doing it. I'm playing a brawler. <laughs> I love it. Yes, I'm playing a brawler. Um, specifically, the archetype is the strong side boxer. Strong side boxer, oh boy. It kind of fucking rocks. So you go into combat, you have two free hands, and one of them counts as a buckler, so that's kind of fun. And the other you can flurry of blows with, but you basically wrap your other hand in cord or rope and have it dipped in resin, and then you can shove it in your pocket and coat that resin with shards of glass or metal shavings and do, um, do things like slashing or piercing damage and get bleed damage on top of that. Oh, nice. Then you also don't technically wear armor your leg is just wrapped in a big chain that counts as a chain shirt 
And um, if you like during combat, if you kick a couple links of that off, you can use it to help a trip maneuver and brawlers are built for combat maneuvers. So I heavily optimize this character to get people on the ground. And while they're knocking these people down, incur attacks of opportunity from me so I can trip somebody with a like plus 26 bonus or something ridiculous. And as they fall, I can pop them on the way down. I'm um, really excited for that. <laughs> I'm stoked. Uh, combat maneuvers are fun. And I think I'm going to be playing a bridesmaid. <laughs> so that's my hook. Okay. Yeah. That's, that's, a, news that's a good to hit. Me. Yeah, we, we talked we about all, this. I told you. That's a good left. Hook. We haven't talked about it. I just kind of told you I was doing it. We we all talked about being parts uh some kind of part of the wedding. So mm-hmm. my character is probably one of the few classes in terms of moving parts more complicated than a brawler. Mm-hmm. Uh, I've I'm playing a character named Sandy Adams that is oh, that's gonna be the the wedding singer for the for the wedding and he is a medium <laughs> and if you hadn't guessed it listeners he is possessed by the different spirits of Adam Sandler's characters <sighs> <laughs> so, so the champion mm-hmm. is the water boy. We've got we've got the you know the archmage archmage. That's a little Nikki, baby. <laughs> and, and some others that I'll leave. You got you I'll got leave. an uncut gems one where you just be loud and swear at people. <laughs> These are all aspects of this character. Mm-hmm. So if that I'm excited to explore. If you can't tell, my style of uh if you couldn't tell during Pablo and Pals at least. My style of jamming is kind of just go with the flow and see what people are having fun with. Which means it might be a wild ride. Get ready. It's it's it'll probably be wild. I, like as the wedding singer, like the wedding singer is the is the marshal. So uh, that's the pseudo bard like inspire courage one. Mm-hmm. Chris, do you know what your character is going to be? You know, I'm still firming that concept up, but I've thought about playing a mother-in-law to Perfect. the wedding. Perfect. All right. No questions. Well, I mean, you have to be a mother and mother-in-law if you're in the wedding, right? <laughs> That's a very good point. I guess technically, maybe not. What? I guess you could be a stepmom that can you, becomes well, a mother-in-law. Can you be a mother? Well, how it, how does it work? Are you not your... The person that's married's mother-in-law, that's mm-hmm. the only person that they're the mother-in-law to, right? You don't become mother-in-law to like their siblings. Right. You can't right. you can't <laughs> you can't it, you can't you be, could a be, mother-in-law you could be a mother and become a mother. You, could be, you have to be the whoa, 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 <laughs> You could be a mother-in-law if like one of the one of the two people getting married got divorced. Mm-hmm. Yeah, I mean technically, I don't know if that ends the mother-in-law. Mm. So the me, duration of mother, so, mother-in-law. Let me take this one offline. Let me clarify. I want to play uh, the stereotypical mother-in-law. It may be a mother, a mother of some sort in the wedding, but I want to fulfill that stereotype. Well, it sounds like we have a lot of workshopping to do on that character concept. Um, Quick listener question from Demuth here for Haley about this module. So we know you read a lot of books and use them as inspiration for some of your characters. Now that some of us have deduced that you will be GMing the next Link Legacy, and he throws in parentheses, Rovagug's friendship cue, Oh, it's a mouth. Still not, playing Sandy not, Adams for not, that one, too. Not, not the right module. I guess wrong. Um, I was wondering if books inspired you as a GM, too. If so, which books and why and how? I will say that 
I probably will take concepts from books that I have read, whether that is conscious or not. <laughs> so I do not have any plans to specifically go back, reread, and hit certain books for these weddings uh, and for the adventure as a whole. But I will likely refer to certain things as the, maybe they come up. So I don't have plans. And then also... I just, I, I've read so many books on Fae, uh, so many different fantasy books that include such a different realm of all different types of Fae, whether they're Pathfinder specific or not, that I'm sure, I am positive actually, that there is going to be some aspect of these books that I've read in there. It's just, I've read a lot and I think I'll pull concepts without realizing I'm going to add to this question. Was that difficult for you when you GM Dead Sons, for instance? Because I know sci-fi is not your favorite genre. I watched a lot of Doctor Who for that. Gotcha. <laughs> if I'll be honest, I, I... That's fair, because they travel everywhere in Doctor Who and never stay in one spot for any given amount of time, just like yeah. Dead Sons. Well, I, rem- I remember us all being very excited when we, when we talked about playing Dead Sons, and Haley was like, well... The first book, I think, is a playoff of something doc- Doctor Who related. And so she was like, well, I'll just run it because like, I have, I don't really have a ton of interest in playing in a sci-fi setting. So I'll just run the campaign that is the sci-fi setting. Yes, I have, I have uh, a lot more experience and interest in running the sci-fi setting, mostly because I don't care as much to play in it. I really like fantasy, so... With that in mind, I'm happy to run stuff like that because I, I, again, Doctor Who, there's some episodes that are just like spot on exactly what's happening. There's so many years of episodes that if they're like, I could rewatch one and be like, all right, great. That's exactly what they're going to do next time. (laughs) It's so easy because there's so many historic episodes of Doctor Who and I really enjoy Doctor Who, so. Rock and roll. All right. Well, we got to keep it moving here. I just want to do one final plug here. Um, about Linked Legacy. So if you all remember when we started season two, the no response from Deepmar uh, season, the one I'm doing here, um, Deepmar is expecting to wrap up probably with episode 12. Well, I mean, we'll see how it actually shapes up because we haven't um, finished recording, obviously, but I'm thinking it's going to be 12. And what that means, this is less for the people who are watching us live right now, but more for the people that are listening at home later That means you still have a chance to subscribe to our Patreon at the $5 tier or up. Why would you do that? Well, first of all, you can listen to Deepmar, which is great, but also you are immediately entered to win a diehard set of metal dice. It's the Mythica Dreamscape Deep Space set, the same set that I've been rolling to uh, varying degrees of success against the players in No Response from Deepmar, and the winner is going to get announced on or with the release of episode 12. So subscribe to the Patreon. Get some shit that, like, is already good, and you could get a free set of dice. How fun is that? Yeah, honestly, <laughs> the the show is fun. You know what I mean? Mm-hmm. Like, it's just Deepmar. Deepmar is... And, and just Link Legacy in general is listening to us actually be able to, like, kick back it sounds like how we would play a show or play a game when we're just playing. I agree fully with that. Yeah. It's very around the table. Like that's if we showed up on like a Saturday for an all day session, because it's a rainy Saturday or something like that's how Link Legacy's feel to me. (laughs) (laughs) Absolutely agreed. 
All right, well, let's get into the next segment we got going on here. This one's called Backup Roulette. You all should be familiar with this. So for Griff, Haley, and myself, we're going to imagine that we are a player on the HLP for Haley and myself. That will be less difficult than it will be for Griffin. (laughs) And our primary character dies in a random front half of the book AP. Well, not front half anymore because it's four of six. I got to update that verbiage. Front Uh, (laughs) Front two thirds of the book AP. So we're going to roll for new characters. We're going to be randomly selecting a race, class, profession, and book that we died in using dice. And we're going to take a minute or two to talk about what we got and how we'd slot it into the story. So first of all, we're going to be doing books. Griffin, I think we're going to start with you. And I've got my dice roller app up. Yeah, roll me a d4. Yes, sir. You died in book one. Oh, boy. Okay. Well, most of you should have. (laughs) <laughs> I mean, you could say that for every book. Uh, Haley, you died in book four. Oh, that, that almost was a reality. <laughs> yeah, uh, no kidding. Uh. All right. When it still I could die, be. <laughs> book four. That's going to be fun. Okay. So next, we need to roll on the reincarnate table. Can one of you do me a favor and just record my, my ones as well as I'm rolling all these dice? Like what I'm going to have to do? Yep. That'd be fantastic. Thank you. All right, so reincarnate table. This is for races. Griffin, you are 72. What does that mean on a D100? Baby, you're a halfling. Halfling? I like halflings. Book one halfling. Oh, wait, no, that's the official table. We're using the unofficial table. Uh-oh. What's 72 on the unofficial table? <laughs> oh, no. Ooh, one of my personal favorites. You're a Kitsune. Kitsune? Fuck. Sure. Yeah. Sure. <laughs> Sorry, you're not you're not a halfling anymore. Haley. Sorry, I'm a weeb now. You have a 30. Oh man, you got you got it here for book four. You're a Gilman. Whoa. Oh. Nice. Yeah. Lucked into that one. Alright, what am I gonna be? I'm a 24, which means that I'm going to be a book four elf. Okay. Then that is everything for the book and race. We're going to go to class next. There are 42 true choices here. So Griffin, you are a 40. What oh boy, that? that's a late class. It is. You're going to get something weird. Oh no, it's going it, to, it goes ABC order though, right? Not here oh because you're a Kitsune ninja. <laughs> Sounds like sounds like exactly something that you would roll up. Um, <laughs> Haley, let's see what you got. Oh, wait, I'm still rolling a D100. <laughs> That's not right. Do you want to be a ninja or do you want to roll on a D42? I don't fuck. You, you rolled right, within you're, the range. So yeah, you're, fine. you're a ninja. All right, Haley, you're a 36. That was my number in lacrosse for years. You're a mesmerist. Nice. I actually... Yeah. A Gilman Mesmerist. Oh, boy. I'm, all right. And I am a 39. That's going to be another late one. Spiritualist. All right. Sure. Okay. Last thing we have to do is a profession, which is a D30. We're going to kick this to Griffin first. You are two. Mm, this makes a lot of sense. You're a Kitsune Ninja Baker. <laughs> Good luck with that. Haley, you're a 15. 
Oh, this, I don't know how this fits, but you're an herbalist. Okay. And then I am an 11. I'm a farmer. But you're a farmer. Yeah. That makes sense. You could actually, you'd be one of those farmers that bring their goods to Ilmarsh. Okay. Well, thank you for doing that for me. So, okay. It is backup roulette time. So do we want to just recap what everybody got first? Griffin, what'd you get? I died in book one. I'm a Kitsune Ninja Baker. Sounds like something you're very excited about. Haley, what you got? I died in book four. I'm a Gilman Mesmerist Herbalist. Mm, yes. I also died in book four. I am an elf who is a spiritualist and a farmer. Okay. Who wants to go first? I mean, sure, I'll go first because <laughs> I don't have any fucking options. So what I would do is I would be a regular run-of-the-mill ninja because there are literally three archetypes for ninja and ninja mm. should just be unchained rogue it shouldn't be a class and it's stupid and it sucks and the flavor of it's terrible and it doesn't fit into anything besides a tnj adventure so how would i go to raven grow uh probably um i'd probably like peddle my baked goods to uh <laughs> to the insular town folk uh, as a as a fox man, uh, the one thing that's cool about Kitsune is they have racial um, racial natural attacks and can get a pounce ability in their fox form. So that's what I would be gearing up for. I would be stealthing. I would be pouncing as a Kitsune, which would allow me to move and full attack with all of my natural attacks. With that, I would be looking to <laughs> dip outside of Ninja probably in order to gain more natural attacks. Uh uh uh. Uh, You're a ninja. Say, it didn't say you had to be a ninja the whole uh, way. I only, uh, only um, rolled a die once. Unless <laughs> unless you want to roll for your mixed uh, So I would classes. take feats that allow me to get more natural attacks. There you go. Um, and I would make sure this character doesn't have any ghost touch weapons, so they would die easily in book one. And then I'd roll something <laughs> else up. That's one way to do it, and... Rules is written. That works. You yeah, can do that. I, I There's literally three archetypes of ninja. Ninja's tough. Ninja is just a stupid class and literally should just be a rogue archetype. Wow, I get key? Pretty cool. <laughs> Sounds good to me. There you go. Throwing stars and everything. All right. Haley, you got something ready to roll? Uh, I think so. Okay. What you got for me? So... I believe that I'm going to have to be your friendly neighborhood drug dealer with the herbalist side. Naturally. Uh, for both those on land and those in water, because I'm a Gilman, so it doesn't matter. Uh, and so I think that I'm going to be peddling drugs to both the scum and the humans and peddling drugs to them and using that in order to help enhance... My psychic powers, which, you know, focus mostly on enchantment and illusion. So that like works really say, well. Is this like an archetype? That's why you're focusing no. on the drug dealer piece? or No, it's more mesmerist specifically. They're more enchantment and illusion side. And so let's help open their minds so they're more susceptible so that then I can control them better. Okay. I feel like that that's a, a good a Sounds good like work. a character that would get cancelled within one episode. Okay, Griffin. It sounds like a character that might be something I would come up with. Let me drug right. you so I could control you. Yeah, I feel as though that might fit in really well. 
Um, as well in as... what party? <laughs> like, I don't think I would drug my party unless they really want to. It'd be... Maybe. But I, but I like that. I feel like those activities are like on a similar level to, say, like an air bear consuming the corpses of the fallen. Like in in terms we of in terms of like a, it, well in terms of like a moral compass of the party, I just feel like that's. I think that maybe that's how I start, and that's how I've been surviving in this incredibly weird area mm-hmm. that is mostly scum and humans. And maybe I would stop the drug drug peddling and just now know my herbs very well and join the party because now I can actually leave and have some backup so I'm not constantly hunted or something, right? Like, I would think it would be difficult to leave this scum and human area, this general area. I don't think people take kindly to both uh, people coming and then also then leaving and maybe telling more about the town. I don't know. Maybe I'm reading into it, but that feels right. So maybe I use the party as my out and I can stop drug peddling, but that's how I started. So then I just leave, and now I'm a mesmerist, and and I know about herbs mm. versus actively, you know, maybe if I'm strapped for cash, and maybe if they don't know, but yeah, I changed my answer. I'm gonna bake the citizens of Ravengrove into pies. Oh, <laughs> just, no, uh, you're not. character needed a little edge. Yeah, <laughs> Kitsune Ninja. Seems no. seems pretty. Uh, yeah, pretty ninja. Yeah. Yeah. All right. right. Well, I died in book four. I'm an elf. I'm a farmer and a spiritualist, which is a class that I know very well. Um, (laughs) So I know elves have uh, aquatic variants and racial traits. So I'll be some sort of aquatic elf. I think the farmer aspect is that I'm going to be living in Lake and Carthen, farm and kelp, baby. I'm a kelp farmer. (laughs) Yeah. Kelps have been strange lately. That's right. Things have been going weird. The kelp's dying, and people don't realize that kelp and, and plankton uh, actually uh, <laughs> add more oxygen to at least Earth's atmosphere. And I have to imagine it's the same way in Galarian than regular plants and, and forests do. So I'd be really concerned that my kelp and my plankton and shit have been dying. Are in danger. Are in danger. So... Um, maybe my character comes to town, um, all frazzled about the, the harvest going astray. And, um, I don't know, maybe the, the ghost of that dude that died in the manor is my ghost that is an eclipses, whatever implement is in. I think that kind of works. I think this is, if if eclipse isn't there, I think it works. This is certainly the weakest set of characters we've ever had. That's, That's where you're wrong, Griffin, because... Um, as an elf and a spiritualist, I will be sure to add one sixth to the shield bonus granted by the third level ectoplasmic bonded manifestation ability with each level up as spiritualists will also be my favorite class. All right. Oh, nerd. Yeah. Yep. Yeah. Um, <laughs> nailed it. It's very fun. We rocked this segment. Good job, guys. All right. So it is time. As always, for listener questions, we're going to kick it to the voicemail. We got one today from 10 Lawn Gnomes, our good buddy Eric. So, Chris in the producer chair, let's hear it. Hey, gang, it's 10 Lawn Gnomes here. And I was wondering, now that you've played for almost three years with a psychic class in the party, how do you feel about that alternate mechanic set? And uh, do you think it's balanced? Any changes you'd make? Those kind of things. 
Uh, talk to you later. Bye. Great question, Eric. So I'll lead off by saying that I think it is very balanced when I have an opportunity to play an elf spiritualist where I can add one six to my shield bonus granted by the third level ectoplasmic bonded manifestation. Glad you could chime in on this, Steve. I was really hoping for your just sage input on this one. Well, listen, a cheap pop is all I get for this because I've never played one of these classes and really don't know the mechanics well, but I know you both do. So I'm going to kick it over to you guys for basically the rest of this question. I love it. Yeah, you love it. I mean, a cultist is broken, but not more broken than any full caster. So it's not really a big deal. The fact that you can be a six level caster and full BAB is uh, the only class in Pathfinder that allows you to do that. Um, and it is it's mitigated by the fact that you have no action economy bonuses. So where a war priest would be able to cast any self buff as a swift action or a paladin would be able to, you know, add a smite to their damage and that kind of stuff and have that last all combat or have auras that are just always in effect. An occultist doesn't have any of that. An occultist, if not properly buffed, is basically a fighter with no feats. And so there are beneficial things like standard action summons, but I think as you guys have seen as Eclipse has leveled up, those have kind of fallen to the wayside in terms of their effectiveness. I mean, what are you summon monster for right now? I think so. Which those things just get trashed immediately yeah. by like in one round. Yeah, unless There's... they have some special ability that we need them for right. to solve a problem. If you if you want to actually be summoning, you need to be either a full caster or a summoner. And the fact that the occultist is neither makes their summons relatively weak, even if they are standard action summons. Um, however, the rest of the psychic, I guess, rule set is is very well balanced. I think you just need to know how to GM for it because the the issue that comes into play is well, there aren't verbal and somatic components to their spells. However. The fact that mind-affecting effects are so prevalent, and realistically, I shouldn't be... I'm, I'm pretty lenient on this front. Like, I shouldn't be allowing Eclipse to cast when she's under the effects of any mind-affecting effect. Not just, like, fear or something that changes her emotion. Um, because that's, that's what the psychic ca- casting is kind of balanced towards. A uh, class like a psychic, though, I think... What you'll find is that Paizo really didn't support these classes much further than the the occult book, right? Um, occult adventures. They, you know, there may be one or two supplements for these classes, and so the archetypes are basically what was in occult advi- adventures plus two or three, uh, very much like the ninja. Where I was like, well, I'm just going to play a core ninja for this because there's no archetype support. It's kind. I mean. Occultist probably has the most tied with kineticist, I'd say. But even a class like a kineticist needs to be built 100% properly or they're just trash. Mm-hmm. I think uh, I really have enjoyed playing an occultist. Um, but like Griffin said, but without saying these exact words, there's too many standard actions. Yeah. I have mm-hmm. so many standard actions and I have uh, essentially one swift action. One as a level ten character, like um, you got to pray a combat goes ten rounds so you can spend yeah. the first three actually being like 
you know, what you want to be. Is it Mm -hmm. fantastic and awesome and way overpowered at like lower levels? Yeah. But once I am now at this level where I have so many amazing and cool buffs and things I could be doing and spells and buffs and big hits with my axe, right? I have so many standard actions to get there. Yeah. It's, it's fun. I have a blast. It's a lot about, you know, weighing your combat, but it's uh, definitely, yeah, there's a lot of standard actions. Well, I mean, there's something to be said, too, for the amount of buffing you guys would get to do and the foresight that you could do through scouting and that kind of thing. I don't think your party is necessarily super equipped to be scouting, but I'm also not the kind of GM that's trying to penalize you for, like, if you could scout and you did... I think that's where the occultist really shines because if you can if you can just buff yourself before combat because that's what the occultist needs to be able to do then you become this powerhouse that is full BAB and has all these crazy buff these crazy 6 level caster buffs on them and has all these crazy like focus abilities that they can do and can fly, you know it's like it's like if your fighter could just be like I fly Fu- yeah. You know, fuck this freedom of movement. Oh, I'm going to change my I'm going to change my weapon type to deal with the uh, deal with whatever I'm fighting. Oh, okay. To be fair, freedom of movement is the the haunt. Yeah, but you could have a freedom of movement at this level if you pick the right implement. Oh yeah, yeah, yeah. It's I just think there's there's so many cool things that you can do. They're all standard actions. <laughs> like right. every single thing is a standard action, and it kills me. Honestly, I'll be very interested to see it, if they pick it up and how they pick up an occultist in second edition. Because Agreed. Uh, transferring the one thing that was keeping them underpowered, which was <laughs> the ima- sheer amount of things that have the same action economy, transferring that to a three action system where everything is on the same field. I, I really wonder in, how baby. that would happen. You gotta, that comes up and I am 100% in. You got to think it would be like, just for an example, something that Eclipse used to do all the time, lead blades, right? That would have to probably have to be like two actions. I mean, it, would, it, would, be, well, it would be the spell lead oh, blades. Oh, sure. Right? Yeah. That is yeah. a spell. So yeah. it's already... It's just yeah. how, do you, how do you make an occultist? There's not really so much the um, level six caster anymore. And so how do you... How do you implement that, really? Make some of my implement powers one action into E, and holy shit. Yeah, I would wonder, like, really what, balance what of them would become reactions. Mm-hmm. I, I could see, like, depending on the implement you, you take or the implements that you have, or maybe even much like 2E classes have become, where it's like, hey, here's five branches in the core like, you know, like instincts for a barbarian or something. It might be like st- like school for an occultist and you pick something and that gives you like a set of reactions and actions that you can use because of that. Thinking about the way that occultists could be in 2E makes me super excited for 2E. Someone who's not usually a 2E person uh, but has grown to like it. Thinking about the way that occultists could become, that makes me hype. I I would really hope they do something. I think it could be a really cool class. Need to do Inquisitor first, but sure. (laughs) I guess. Uh, yeah, we, we definitely need both of those in 2E. But we do have to move on because I do want to get to some of the live listener questions that we've got. But first, we have a quick lightning round of questions for Haley. Haley, I want to move through these quickly because we've got a lot still to talk about and not a lot of time to do it. So we got some pointed questions for you on the Discord. Ten Lawn Gnomes Eric asks, 
what's your favorite way to kill Sims? And how would you decide a or design a Pathfinder dungeon to incorporate these traps? Steve's Saw franchise may be a benefit here. Uh, unclear if he's talking about the movie franchise that I like or the franchise of episodes that we're building around the character of Saw in the podcast, but um, just... Uh, both prolific will. franchises. Yeah, take, take it as you will, Haley. Uh, I'm what's your favorite not going to kill refer Sims? to either of those, but um, <laughs> I think I think that uh, my favorite way to kill Sims, I like to do that when they don't realize that they are about to die. Like unless the starvation stuff, that's just kind of boring. It's a long time. But I thought your favorite was just making Steve Sim try to sleep three million times until the trundle bed killed him. It's a Murphy bed. Murphy bed, whatever. <laughs> I just, I, I just wanted goes the, under. the Murphy bed to uh, collapse on Steve. But I think the ideal way in a Pathfinder is to do underground cave system. Uh, make sure that every bit of all the fish in the area are poisonous. Make sure all the bugs are poisonous. Really just infect, uh, infect them a lot as well as make things catch on fire randomly. Like maybe there's an, uh, some sort of gas in the air that's not poisonous necessarily, but also makes things catch on fire randomly because fire is a big problem in The Sims. Mm. It's, it's a huge issue. Um, as well as I think make every stream and river where you can catch the poisonous fish that you can then eat if you prepare properly, make all of those very difficult to get out because drowning's also a big thing in The Sims. Yeah, I was going to say the, the dungeon design is literally just an area of water that you have to traverse, but both sides become completely sheer flat walls. No, 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 and can't no. Climb. No, I don't want them to know they're about to die. I want it to happen naturally. So make so it in a cavern rules. system. Yeah, I get you. Interesting. Okay, next question from Florida Man. Uh, Haley, is uh, Griff deadlift in your car yet? You, you don't have the thing for to lift my deadlift my car yet. Yeah, there's not. You you haven't attached the hitch attachment. There's, yeah, not, yeah, there's a specific hitch attachment. Not because yeah, right. Not because he hasn't tried. It's just we don't have the right attachment <laughs> yet. So we'll see. Jury's <laughs> out on that one. Uh, your Tumbe asks, Hey Haley, as an avid Warhammer fan, I gotta ask, what painting techniques do you have to share for painting minis? I'll say I was really flattered to even get this question. <laughs> <laughs> um, I I don't really have. I don't have a lot of techniques besides I. Just keep, I'm, I go too far. That's, uh, that's the best technique I've got, which is everyone else is like, yeah, I use a solid, like, I don't know, five, four colors or so. And I just really use them all over. And I'm like, every color that could exist. Do I layer them? Do I not? Do I fill in the pools of like where the paint should be darker or not? And I try, I spend way, way, way too long on stuff because I really enjoy thinking about all of the, uh, the lighting and all of the colors, every color that I can find. To, to your color palette, um, I, I will say it's it's fucking awesome how much work you put into all these minis. If you want to see so, like a really cool indicative thing of that, the comparison between um, Irene's art of Mir and your painted character of Mir, you have you have like almost like kind of dreadlocky hair in a way. Yeah, where there's. And and there's different strands of it that are different colors and you reflect that in your mini and it looks fucking awesome. Uh, so, yeah, if you all haven't checked it out and I don't know, wherever we posted that. Check I it also out. always use the Zenithal like shading in general. Like that's everybody uses that. But yeah. I always try to use that to our advantage. I shade them all Zenithal so everybody can paint yeah. thinly over top and get good shadows. Yes. Yeah. All right. Ten Lawn Gnomes again. Haley. How does Eclipse feel about Eclipse? Absolutely and does it ever fuck off? And does it get confusing with two mean? Eclipses walking around in the group? Are you talking about joy? Off. Joy to the world, baby. All right. So <laughs> Haley didn't like that question. Moving on. Uh, Thomas asks, 
Haley, did you discuss Figgy and who's going to control him, in quotes, during play with Griff? Yeah, so we did talk about this a little bit, mostly because uh, Griffin Griffin was like, I think it only makes sense that uh, I would voice, as in he was saying he would voice, all of the familiars and animal companions just from that perspective. But the actual control of what they do, so the physical actions that they take, are mostly from... Uh, myself, but Griffin and I have talked about what Figgy's character and role. Yeah, I think are. I think I'm completely in control of Figgy's personality, but with the caveat that like Haley told me what his yes. personality is entirely. So like, yes. <laughs> so I'm I'm taking a lot of liberties with like. I feel like Figgy is a very animated character, even yeah. though he doesn't speak, and so. I'm taking a lot of liberties with like how he kind of like jumps into situations and stuff, but I'm doing that based off of the character that you wrote. Yes. That is Figgy. Figgy is supposed to be the lighthearted, fun, you know, animated character versus Mir, who's a little bit more solemn. <laughs> but I, I think he's kind of like, he's, he's young. So he's kind of like rebellious in a way that's like, it's not like he's not going to listen to you, but like. You know, he grumbles about having to clean up the hair. He, like, yeah. you know, he's he's going to be that kind of character. Yeah, I actually wrote an entire backstory on on how Mir met Figgy, just so that Griffin would have a good view of Figgy's personality. Fan favorite character immediately. <laughs> Figgy is taking over the show. Um, we're going to be incorporating him in a lot more of the branding going yeah. forward. <laughs> we, we yeah, we focus tested this. Yeah. Figgy shirts coming soon, probably. (laughs) I mean, probably. So, all right, Haley, you made it through the lightning round of listener questions. Congratulations. You succeeded that reflex save. Thank you very much. But I know we have a whole bunch of questions from the chat. Chris, lay them on us. Okay. Uh, Let me direct the first question over to Griffin from 10 Lawn Gnomes or Eric. What, in your opinion, is the secret to keeping higher level play moving, especially in different diff- different environments like underwater or flying? Uh, Griff, I'll take this one. Bang energy. Bang energy. <laughs> like, uh, yeah. or, or those four loco uh, seltzers that they've <laughs> oh, been. Boy. Yeah. Uh, the, the secret is having players that know their characters. I mean, the, the other secret is editing. I, I, can't really, <laughs> I can't really tell you how to move yeah. it much faster than that. You know as, as well as I do, as well as anyone does, about people at the table that don't know their characters or don't refuse to do math or whatever, like simple things like us having Brooks roll in an app because he attacks six times. Like it's not his fault. His turn drags on. It's just by virtue of having a character with multiple attacks and that kind of thing. You really need to find ways that they can do something automatically or quickly because just doing that much mental math once you slow the combat down to a crawl, you ruin the momentum for everyone else. And yeah. so you have to find ways where your problem players that take forever can speed up and be a regular turn. And, and problem literally because there's so many attacks. Yeah, prob- <laughs> uh, yeah I, I don't, didn't mean that in terms of like Brooks being a problem player. I meant that in terms of like that was a sticking point in higher level play where it's just like, with six attacks, his turn took 15 minutes the first time he used Air Bear. So now he uses a dice roller, and then also when he is rolling dice and doing his attacks like manually, it's it's also one of those things where it's uh, more of a 
I'm going to attack this particular thing like twice and then I'll move on. And so, so that's why where he doesn't do that dice roller. But there's a lot of editing magic. Yeah. And I think a part um, of it, too, <laughs> a part of it, too, Eric, is like you mentioned incorporating a lot of these like terrain things and extra things and high level things. And I think part of that is your adventure should incorporate all of that at low levels so that it's easier to deal with at higher levels. That's that's a really good point. You know, the video game tutorial that has you look up, then look down and left and right <laughs> to like, oh, you're calibrated now. Like, like this isn't game. our first water rules combat, yeah. even though none of like the early books of Carrying Crown have any water shit. It, it also helps to that sometimes, you know, not to like spoil anything or break immersion, but sometimes we do have conversations before episodes like, hey, this is going to be water combat know how that works mm-hmm. yeah. or just say, yeah, I mean prepare your so players we, for the yeah. things that are going to happen right so we'll all pull up the rules and we all know them and it's not like it's mm-hmm. hidden it's we all know and can look up the rules because we know to some extent what to expect not that we know what the monsters are but we know hey be ready with X rule set I use a bludgeoning weapon we're underwater this isn't a surprise to me that it does less damage. <laughs> yeah. It's like, okay, what do I need to do to get around that? How can I make my action economy work so that like I don't drag four turns to make that work? Like, And four turns in 40 minutes of the show. One, like the beauty of doing a recorded show, I think in part is that you guys are, the expectation is that you know this stuff. The expectation is that you know this underwater combat when I've given you warning that it's happening. And so I don't have to go around the table and be like, hey, remember to have your hand. <laughs> oh, hey, remember, like, oh, you're casting a fire spell. It's a DC 20 plus a spell level concentration or whatever. Like, that, that's not shit I'm saying. Yes. Editing, have good players and plan for it and do it early. Uh, Chris, next question. Okay, I'm going to toss this one to Steve. Uh Uh-oh. If you had control over the audio, what would be the first audio drop of Bestow Curse? Are you guys cutting the cat's ties from the main show? Yeah, that's a really good one. Um, I would say pretty much any time Diego does anything, we would be doing drops from the 2019 motion picture cats. (laughs) Cut that shit out. Um, what, What else would I do? I don't know. I would probably just have a lot more, a lot more drops. I mean, uh, I, I didn't say we weren't going to do drops. Yeah. You just haven't prepared any drops. Yeah, I, I guess the answer here is I would memeify it. For for a peek behind the screen, Steve still does music during Bestow Curse. Mm-hmm. It's just not the music we use. But if he did drops, I would just take an actually high fidelity audio file of the drop and place it so that it's not like HLP where the volume could be uh, anywhere. Yeah. And I would probably add a lot more. Uh, you don't like Shaq. Frankly, I don't give a damn. I know I got skills, man. I know I got skills somewhere. Don't know where it would fit, but I'd figure it out. Uh, next question, please. Okay. I'll make this <laughs> rapid fire to each of you. If you were going to bestow a menial curse onto somebody, what would it be? And why would it be to Chris? Hmm. Is the question asking who we would bestow the curse on? Or is it just saying what's it? What is the menial curse that you would... What would it be and why would it be to Chris is kind of a leading question. Yeah, it's very leading. It it is a leading question. Feel free to depart from the, I don't want curses. I I know exactly what I would do. If I was going to bestow a menial curse on someone, it would be surrounding um, either socks that would always ride down in shoes, 
shoes that would always come untied. Oh no. And flip-flops that would always like blo- like the little thong part would break off. Haley, I would always you, have that. If you gave me that curse, I would walk <laughs> off a parking garage. That's I hate all those things so much. I know. And if that was my life, God damn. I really think that I would make sure that whatever menial curse I give means that mm. they could never walk comfortably again. Ooh, I've got a good that one for Chris. That would be my thing. I've got a really good one for Chris. Um, I would curse the delivery drivers of all of the Uber Eats that he gets to get in accidents like they have done. <laughs> well, it's just... Um, and and me- meaning that he can't get delivery anymore, so he has to learn how to cook his own food. Oh, man. That is the worst curse. Is that menial? Don't, don't do that. He'd end up at our house all the time. I think, I think the curse I would bestow is that everybody, like, the, the person I'm bestowing this curse on would be at the stage of having to go to the bathroom at all times. I think I have that where, curse. Yeah, I think you might. Where it's, like, it's not so pressing that you have to, like, run to a bathroom, mm-hmm. but it's just that, like, uncomfortable, uneasy feeling where it's, like, maybe I should go before I go do this, but I don't know. Maybe I could hold it. And it's I, like that, I have this. That curse. Uneas- You've done this that to uneasiness. me. You've done this to me. I think the alcoholism has done it to you. <laughs> I'm, well, yeah. <laughs> Not me. Don't point fingers at me. Yeah, I've done terrible things to my body in the name of getting drunk. <laughs> yeah, part of that is peeing every forty minutes. <laughs> Listen, I subscribe to the one in one out philosophy of beers. <laughs> one in, one out. However long it takes you to drink a beer is also how long your window is before peeing. Yeah, we got a comment in the chat here that Haley is busting up about, so. Wait, just Demuth said, wait another 30 to 40 years and you'll all have that curse. <laughs> there you go. I won't be alone. Chris, what's next? I'm gonna... <laughs> okay, let's make this a group collaborative question. Um, Don't like that. We have this show Bestow Curse coming out. Mm-hmm. It's a spell in 1E. It's not a spell in 2E. So what would you guys make the 2E Bestow Curse spell look like? I think you really have to think about how the action economy is different and how the stacking bonuses are different. Yeah, you would have to make everybody feel like they would need to take a piss. Well, <laughs> so so I, I I think what you I think what you do in 2E is you apply like there's a couple different conditions. I think mm-hmm. like a permanent condition might be something like permanent permanently frightened too would be really impactful in 2E to the extent of like a minus four to your main stat or something. Yeah, because that knocks down, it knocks down everything you're kind of trying to do, but then it makes those people that rely on like the multiple attack penalty, those like second and third attacks just become almost invalid when you're yeah when you're taking a hit to an already difficult role yeah something like that or like a permanent like instead of the 50 50 chance to act like a permanent slowed one yeah get rid of the get rid of that fucking 50 50 percent chance to act. that curse those, sucks those ass. are just recommendations you can choose yeah you, to use can, them or you not. can i chose to use it but you don't have to use that just like like a curse in in one e can also be a permanent condition. There's nothing that says it can't. And mm. so, honestly, bestow curse. It's like they have a, a set of recommendations for the curses, and maybe in two e they recommend like doing a permanent uh condition. There, well, there's no bestow curse in two e. That's but what we're trying to. That's what I'm saying. It's like maybe in bestow curse that would be one of the recommendations. But realistically, it's one of the best things about bestow curse is truly you can make your own curse so i know that they always have those like top three recommendations which is like you know taking a hit on an ability score or doing 50 50 to act etc they so they have recommendations but realistically you can kind of already go 
to whatever makes sense for what you're doing. So I don't know, maybe that means they have a chance to be tripped. Like maybe that's the curse that you're giving them. Clumsy feet. That's all stuff you can make up. And that's why I think Bestow Curse in Tui, it's about changing the example so that people are thinking on the Tui mm. spectrum versus the mm. one Yeah, and I think that, you know, that's that's where we're coming at with like these different examples. Uh, because I mean, one that would be very valid for Matumbe, like a curse I can throw at you is like you can't make knowledge checks. That's a well. Then what do I do? That's a perfectly balanced curse compared what, what, to like what do a fifty-fifty chance to act. Uh, and it's just like it's just like everybody got uh, got upset if you listened to uh, GCP. They, there was like a curse where it's like, oh, your misfire chance is like from six to one or whatever, like. Mm-hmm tripled your misfire chance or whatever and still like that's a completely valid curse that that falls along the lines of the normal curse penalties Mm -hmm. i would probably curse the party with any cat folk members have to sing cats tunes while they attack chris what's next okay this is a uh, a really good question for griff but i'm gonna give you veto power over whether you want to answer it yet or not sure are you planning a bestow curse equivalent of the evil interludes? Uh, I mean, I'll exercise the veto power just because we'd like to announce it. Okay, uh, Demuth, you're gonna you're gonna want to wait to hear the answer. Yeah, hey, you're gonna want to hold on. Hold yeah, on your- who knows how many years you have to wait? We'll see. Here's another one for Griff um, from Sir Newt. He wants to know: Did that shark have a loving family? Uh, like my obviously shark? not, because that's not how sharks work. Sharks eat their yeah. young. You heard it here first. Uh, another- Does it mean that they don't have siblings? The the loving part is a thing that sharks loving. do not do. So with their uh, fish brains, she loves. Ma- maybe maybe that shark had a mother in law that was not a mother <laughs> first. Wow, that's an interesting twist on the shark. Huh. Yeah, maybe maybe that's what the evil interlude will be. Just that. Backstory into the first jigsaw shark you killed. And I was trying to figure out that question about can you be a mother-in-law without being a mother? Does it have a loving family? Can you be a mother-in-law? With a- what's what's the story of this shark's mother-in-law? Chris, do we have any other more uh, listener questions? Uh, we've got some. Sir Nude also wants to know if you received a box of Furbies in the mail, how quickly would it take you to burn the box? No. Mm. Why are you excited about Furbies? I have the same question. Yeah, yeah. <laughs> I had Furbies going up. Yeah, why do their batteries last six years? They last so long. <laughs> but also, I've uh, seen people do some really weird things with Furbies. Yeah, really as weird as and re- almost universally disgusting. Like, like replacing their fur with some other. <laughs> I'm not going like, to see this. Like some uh, resin or, or, or what was it? Polymer made like beans. That was something I've, else. I've seen a lot like turn to flesh with. Some, yeah, they uh, did turn them to flesh, put some tattoos and piercings on the Furbies. That was something else. I like it from the weird factor. Don't really want it in my house, but at the same time, I think it's funny. I think I would take that box and send it to the Dice Will Roll podcast. I think they have a Furby on their show, and they would okay. get more enjoyment out of it than us. I don't know. Okay. I didn't know they had Furby. Yeah, one of their familiar character familiars is a Furby. That's uh, that's pretty fantastic. Yeah, <laughs> I would send it to the Dice Crisis. Well, you think? Yeah, you'd have to send it with a couple bangs so they could 
Nah, I wouldn't put a return address. <laughs> no just show up. I think I might just shove it in uh, our unsuspecting Chris and Tibbs house. What if you sew them together end to end? No. Really like this idea. Yeah. <laughs> no, no. I do a little sewing. <laughs> we, can, we can make it work. Anything else, Chris? <laughs> Anything besides Furbies? Well, a couple for Haley here, actually. Oh. Haley, DeMuth wants to know, can a mother-in-law be a ninja? I guess. Okay. I mean, what's stopping? It's possible. What's stopping is it them? Practical? No. What? Why is it not practical? Because ninja is one of the worst a... classes in the game. You don't know if she's a ninja. I don't know if she's a ninja, but might I know not... that she'd be gimping herself by not being something like a cleric. Yeah, yeah. She. We may not better. be talking about Pathfinder either. This could be real no, life. I think that a mother-in-law could be anything. It's just uh, it's the mother-in-law is the title you get later, so it could be whatever. I okay. think that uh, opens it all up. Another question for you, Haley. Will the square fruit vendor be catering the wedding? A lot of, lot of square fruit vendor questions. I, uh, hmm. It makes me wonder what I was thinking when I created the Yeah, it's, it's really like a ripple effect. <laughs> I've had those too, where it's like, oh, something I put in stupidly is something people fixate on. Yeah, I love it. it. It's, I really didn't think anyone would fixate on it. <laughs> it's wild that we, have, we had five people uh, really spend a lot of time making interesting, exciting PCs that we, we were really thrilled about. <laughs> and then Haley crafted a, a really amazing story that tied in... You know, explained how Pavlos got where he was and who his friends were and all this cool stuff. We set it in a very interesting setting. And then uh, the only thing people give a shit about is a meme joke. Yeah. So uh, it goes back to the, it it goes so back to the no fan service. <laughs> Live and learn. I thought it was funny, but also I probably will not continue to include that. Well, cheers to that. That makes two of us. <laughs> I think I, I already did my part and I included fair, it in some shit. It was an April Fool's episode. Yeah. Why would I not have something whack? Yeah. It was an April Fool's episode. Come on, guys. Yeah, it was just like the oddest shaped red herring I've ever <laughs> experienced. I, I really... It's just very I rude. didn't expect everyone to latch so much, but they did. Well, it's nearly impossible not to. Here we are a year and a half later, still trying to figure that one out. All right, Chris, what do we got? Um, I think we're getting close to the end here. So maybe if we had like a, a nice punchy one to end on. Oh, I got some punch good. here for you. Okay. Uh, well, it's really the last question that we have. And I saved it because I didn't want to ask it earlier. Um, only if we ran out of questions. Um, why is Chris so handsome and smart? Chris, that didn't come up. All right, folks. So it did come uh, up. After this, we're going to be heading over to the Junk and Discorderly channel for the after party. Thank you all so much for joining us today. Haley, you succeeded. Your will save. You made it out of the zone of truth. Thank you. All right, uh, Griffin, anything you want to add to the end? Absolutely not. <laughs> Finish your drinks. We'll see you in two weeks. Later, folks. Later, folks.